We're going to come to the time now where we will look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. When you found that, would you stand together with me and I'll read this passage for us. If you're using the Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 478. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. Solomon writes this. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is Hebel. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are also Hebel. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men stoop, when grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, like a vapor, like a mist, says the teacher, everything is but a breath. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of the making of many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. And now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Okay, here we go. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is God's word. may be seated. Let me pray for us, ask God's blessing now as we dig into this last passage in Ecclesiastes. Spirit of God, we come now before you humbly as those who want to place ourselves underneath your word and not above it, to sit in judgment on it, but to be taught and instructed by it. 
God, I'm asking you to meet with us in unexpected ways this morning, ways that throw off our balance, ways that appropriately chasten some of our just broad, careless living. Give us a wake-up call this morning as we come to this passage. We're asking you by your Spirit to meet each one of us in the place where we are. You know where that place is. And I'm asking you to accomplish the purpose for which you've sent out this word today. And as I always ask, eternal God, now move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Just as honeymoons are wasted on couples with no children, so too, as the saying goes, youth is wasted on the young. And everybody over 40 in here said, Amen. So says David Gibson in his book on Ecclesiastes entitled, Living Life Backwards. Or maybe you're more familiar with another well-known saying that we've likely heard our parents, our grandparents say to us at some point in our lives, they said, you don't know how good you have it. You heard this before? Regardless of how the sentiment is stated, eventually I think we all come to see the truth of it. The reason is because when we're young, we simply have no context with which to understand how incredible the freedoms that we get to enjoy are. Mostly because we have no concept of what it would be like to live life without them. Think about it. The the child who breaks their shoulder and then six weeks later, it's just fine. Back to life as usual. They can't imagine a life where that exact same injury could take well over a year to recover from. Uh, The university student who can work till four in the morning to finish their paper, sleep for two hours, and then go to an 8 a.m. class. They can't fathom an existence where if you decide to stay up till midnight to celebrate New Year's Eve, that's going to mean your sleep patterns are now messed up until February. (laughs) I can't imagine it. And in one sense, honestly, how, how cruel is it that we would have no deep understanding of the sweetness of youth until we're no longer able to taste it? This is undoubtedly what makes the young person look at the elderly with an expression of perhaps curiosity and confusion, and what makes the elderly person look at the young and just shake their heads. (laughs) We are concluding our series this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes, The Chasing After the Wind, a conclusion that I know brings relief for some of you. But honestly, I find it to be quite a melancholy experience. Each time we come to this moment, I don't know what it is. For whatever reason, a sermon series for me is a little bit like what I understand fostering a child to be. You take them into your life. You experience all the joys and struggles that come as a part of them being there. And then at some point, you've got to give them back. Now, of course, that doesn't mean I can never read Ecclesiastes again. I know that. And yet, this time, this kind of sustained Focus on this book over these last few months has been deeply meaningful to me, and I pray by God's grace that's been the case for you as well. And in our passage this morning, today Solomon is going to offer us his final conclusions, at last, his final conclusions on everything that he's been studying for his life under the sun. He began this exploration stating his thesis that everything, everything we see, feel, Touch in this natural world is hebel, this Hebrew word translated here is meaningless, 
but which literally translated means mist, vapor, breath. And after all has been heard, he wants to bring us the conclusion of the matter after, I think we'd all agree, proving that thesis. But before he gives us his final conclusion, Solomon wants to just reach out and knock over one last house of cards, one last false hope that many of us look to in our lives to try to find meaning, purpose, and protection in our lives under the sun, namely youth or vitality, which, come on, I think is incredibly relevant to us here this morning, particularly living in North America, and even more particularly living in a city like Vancouver, where along with wisdom, pleasure, and wealth, youth, wellness, beauty, they're some of the most highly prized values we have in this city, aren't they? I mean, in fact, if you to be young, healthy, and beautiful, that's almost equivalent to having all those other things, uh, wisdom, pleasure, wealth. So before showing us where meaning and purpose in life truly can be found, Solomon wants to help loosen our grip on this last final branch, something that might offer us meaning, purpose, protection, that we all want so badly in life, but that can't actually follow through on what it's promising. So in order to understand Solomon's thought here, I want to look at our last verses in Ecclesiastes in three ways. We're going to talk about the sweetness of youth, the bitterness of aging, and then finally, finding wholeness in our life under the sun. The sweetness of youth, the bitterness of aging, finding wholeness in our life under the sun. So if you've closed your Bibles, would you open them up again to Ecclesiastes 11, starting at verse 7. Follow along with me as Solomon now offers us the conclusion of the matter. So let's begin by looking at the sweetness of youth. The sweetness of youth. Look with me, first of all, at verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. You see, he says here, light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Now jump down to the beginning of verse 9. Be happy, young man, while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eye sees. Now, by this stage, it shouldn't surprise us any longer that Solomon is, is just laying out and highlighting the pleasures and enjoyment in life that God intends for us to have in our days under the sun. Now, it doesn't mean it's any less stark for those of us who grew up in more conservative churches or those who believe that the Bible is about restricting enjoyment of our lives. But still, here, once again, Solomon is commending the enjoyment of our lives which, according to what he's been saying throughout Ecclesiastes, comes through contented enjoyment of what God has seen fit to give us. And yet, this, is, this seems weird. I mean, isn't it really ultimately redundant to tell a young person to enjoy life as they're experiencing it right now? To tell them to be happy while they're young? Really? I mean, when my daughters were quite a bit younger... Whatever, you throw them in a ball pit, put a big bucket of Play-Doh in front of them, sand toys on the beach. I didn't have to remind them to enjoy themselves. They just did it. Later on, when we went for a family vacation years ago to Disneyland, I didn't need to have a family meeting at the gates and say, now girls, I want you to try really hard to be happy. They, They did that on their own. 
In fact, for the most part, when we look at the young and beautiful of the world, don't we pretty much presume enjoyment of life? The real surprise comes when we find a young person who isn't happy and satisfied in their life, and we're like, what's wrong with you? You've got everything right now. That's the real surprise. The fact remains, however, the reason Solomon is commending the enjoyment of life to the young here is not primarily because he assumes they're not already doing that, but because he wants to qualify the way in which life can truly be enjoyed. And as we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes, one of the common ways that the teacher likes to teach is by using comparison, right? He used to have the two bookends here, and so that's exactly what we see here as well. First of all, in verse 8, look there. Right after telling us in verse 7, light is sweet, it pleases the eyes to see the sun, he goes right on to say, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Second half of verse 9 as well, after encouraging happiness in life for the young, to follow the ways of their hearts and whatever their eyes see, Solomon goes on to say, but... Know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Which, if you're like me, at first glance, it sounds a little bit like Solomon is dangling a plugged-in toaster over the hot tub of life and saying, oh, just jump right in. Water is gorgeous. Enjoy. Or like somebody bringing a cake to your birthday and saying, I made this cake for you. It's incredibly sweet and delicious. But you should know it's about 2,000 calories a slice. It's probably going to clog your arteries and expand your waistline. Happy birthday. It feels like that's what he's doing, but as Philip Ryken points out in his commentary here, first of all, in verse 8, the days of darkness Solomon talks about, they, they qualify what Solomon's saying about rejoicing in the light. They, they don't negate what he's saying. Similarly, Stephen Myers in his own commentary tells us this, the judgment spoken of there in verse 9 is not meant to kill the joy and happiness of life. The point is that our ways actually matter to God. That's what he's saying. And an awareness of God's evaluation both helps us to fear to do evil and gives us confidence in doing good things. So Solomon's comparison here shows us two things. First of all, we see that the sweetness of our youth is not diminished It's actually enhanced when we recognize the habelness of youth. We recognize the fact that this is not something that's going to last forever. And secondly, true enjoyment of life in our youth is not about some sort of unhindered, just gorging ourselves on anything and everything we might see and want to experience. But it comes about the enjoyment of life that comes when we live out our lives within the good boundaries that God has woven into our very existence. Which is very interesting because that's very opposite of what you hear, right? Don't we hear that enjoyment in life comes from throwing off the boundaries? If we could just get rid of these rules and restrictions, then I can really enjoy life. All of Ecclesiastes, what Solomon has been saying is, no, I actually, I actually did that. And I did it harder than you. I did it bigger than you. And what I've come to see is that true enjoyment in life comes actually when we live within the good boundaries that God has placed on life. That's actually how you enjoy it. And the application that Solomon brings, offers us here in verse 10 now, is pretty profound. Look there with me. Let's just read what Solomon says and then talk about it for a minute. He says, So then, so as a result of what I've just said, banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off 
the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are hebel. Now just take a moment. Take a moment and think about your life. How many of you here this morning would be willing to admit that there are things you've done in the past, choices you made that brought anxiety or trouble into your life? Okay, we got about six honest people here this morning. Good. For those of you who have made such choices, if you have children of your own, if you have a younger person whose life you're speaking into right now, how many of you would want to protect them from making those same choices themselves, if you could? Probably all the same people. Yeah, we want to be like, man, I've done that. Don't go down that road. What I'm saying is that Solomon feels the exact same way when it comes when he considers his own foolish choices in life. And what he wants to do here now is to save his hearers then and today from making the same kind of foolish choices that brought anxiety and trouble into his life. He's reminding them that even the youth and vitality that they're relying on so much to protect them from all these troubles and dangers, it's also Hebel. See there again, end of verse 10, again he says, youth and vigor, Hebel, they're they're meaningless. Interestingly, that Hebrew word for vigor there means either the prime of youth or darkness of hair. (laughs) Youth and the darkness of hair, Habel. That's going to be more significant in a minute here when Solomon gives us this description of the days of trouble. But think about it. The point Solomon is trying to make here, he's trying to help the young and the young at heart see that their lives under the sun can be enjoyed now. He's not trying to rain on our party here. He's trying to help us to truly enjoy it to the fullest. And although there are a billion and a billion dollar industries out there right now that would try to tell you otherwise, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many Pilates classes you take. It doesn't matter how many kombucha juice cleanses you've gone through. It doesn't matter how many, I don't know, what, uh, kelp, petal extract, powdered deer antler lotions you moisturize with twice a day, it's not going to help. Your youth, says Solomon, is a mist. Your, your, Your vitality will fail you one day and it will not protect you from the inevitable end and neither will either of those things protect you from experiencing the anxiety and trouble that comes when we try to live our lives like God is indifferent to our choices. He's not. Don't be fooled, says Solomon. God doesn't have some kind of a cosmic young offenders act where when you turn 19, you just start from zero again. It doesn't work like that. Choices you make in your youth for good or for bad will follow you for the rest of your life. So choose wisely, says Solomon. Choose wisely. Enjoy the sweet days of your youth, yes, but remember, they don't last forever. And one day you're going to have to give an account for those days. Remember that, says Solomon, and you will hold the true secret to enjoyment, the true secret to vitality in life that can last for as many years as God gives you. So that's the sweetness of youth. Next thing Solomon wants to show us is the bitterness of aging. 
the bitterness of aging. Now, what follows in these next eight verses of chapter 12 is some of the most darkly beautiful poetry on the subject of aging I think I've ever read. Solomon is now a man near the end of his life, and to drive home his point about the fading, mist-like nature of youth, Solomon now describes in vivid detail, just these staggering word pictures, what the days of darkness, the days of trouble after youth look like. He wants to give us a little peek into the future. And for most of us, this is a, a fearful picture, right, that we can only look at with a mix of curiosity and dread. We're kind of like, oh. And I know for many of us, we, we've already watched our parents, we've watched our relatives, once so young and full of life, succumb to this exact same process, which is simultaneously painful to watch, but which is also fearful for us. Because we look at that, and at some point we become aware of the fact, okay, that elderly guy shuffling down the hall in the retirement home, that, that, that's going to be me someday. And we're afraid of it. I was struck again by the fear and anxiety <clears throat> that comes with, ages, with aging and, and illness just this past week as I uh, watched the film adaptation of Lisa Genova's best-selling novel, Still Alice. If you feel like you have way too much joy in your life right now, I highly recommend watching this film just to correct the imbalance. It's dark. It's really like a devastating picture of this, this young professional woman, just in her 50s, develops early-onset Alzheimer's disease, and you just watch this disease in months just tear away life, vitality from this otherwise young, healthy, intelligent woman. If you listen to some of the descriptions that she gives of herself and this speech that she gives at the Alzheimer's Society, she describes herself as, I'm now ridiculous, incapable, comic, far from the person I once was. You can easily hear the echoes of Solomon's description here in these verses. And it's little wonder, really, absent of any firm belief in God or a life after this one, why much of the Western world today seeks to avoid the aging process that Solomon describes here, seeks to avoid the, the, the loss of youth and vitality that Lisa Genova's book describes. We just, we just want to avoid that and ignore it with every fiber of our being, with every resource we have available to us. We don't want to look at it, even though we all know it's coming. But I believe... That Solomon's purpose in this description is not at all to crush us, but rather to motivate us. He wants to motivate us towards change before those days of trouble come. So all I want to do is I want to just walk through Solomon's description here of these days of trouble and see if we can discern if that's indeed Solomon's purpose in giving it. So look with me first of all at verse 1 in chapter 12 now. Solomon says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So we see, first of all, Solomon is presenting this picture to someone who still is in their youth. That's who he's talking to here, someone before much of this process that he's about to describe has begun with a clear command at the start of it all, remember your creator. That's, that's the point he wants to just Put right at the front, right in front of your face. Remember your creator. 
Now, many commentators warn here against trying to draw too many one-to-one parallels between the pictures Solomon gives and everyday events in life, and I think that's right. And yet they also point out there are some descriptions here that are pretty easy to to see. Uh, The end of verse 1 there, for instance. Surely describing someone who's at the end of their life and they they no longer find pleasure in their days. We've all heard uh, some of our age and grandparents or whatnot just say things like, I'm just ready to go home now. I'm ready to be done here. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 2. He says, Before the sun and the lights and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Commentators note here this is likely a description of mental decline. As guiding lights become dim and natural processes now seem to happen out of order, clouds don't come after the rain, they become before Verse 3, the keepers of the house is said to refer to the hands, the strong men referring to the legs. Uh, in, in age, these once strong, steady things begin to weaken, tremble. When the grinders cease because they are few, what do you think that's talking about? Teeth. Verse 4, when men rise up to the sound of birds, their songs grow faint, is referring to the way sleep becomes harder and harder to come by as we age. And the diminished capacity to hear. Beginning of verse 5, that reference to the blossoming of the almond tree. That's a reference to the fact that when an almond tree begins to blossom, it has these white flowers that show up. So it's a reference to hair. It's talking about how the hair changes color, which also shows us the contrast of why Solomon would say that the darkness of hair in youth is fleeting. It will go away. The grasshopper drags himself along. That's a reference to declining physical energy. Desire is no longer being stirred, refers lastly to sexual desire. And finally, the last part of verse 5, you see all comes to an end, and Solomon writes, Then man goes to his eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Now you see in verse 6 here, he repeats the call again. That's how we can tell this is significant. He says to the young person again, that command to remember your creator. He says, remember him. Remember him. And then the call is to do so before the aging process finally reaches its end and life comes to its completion. Again, this is beautiful poetry, ultimately describing created things that no longer function anymore like they were designed to. Of course, is a picture of the end of life itself. Look at what he says here. Remember him, verse 6 before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Isn't this the exact opposite of what we read in Genesis? God takes dust, makes the man, and breathes life into him. Now he returns that breath to God and turns to dust. Finally, coming full circle from what he said at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, all the way back in the chapter 1, Solomon closes where he began, saying, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. What's the point of all this? I mean, yeah, sure, it's, it's beautiful poetry, but this is also kind of depressing stuff. We don't like to look at that or consider this reality. 
Well, on one level, this is actually entirely fitting as Solomon has sought to faithfully present the results of his exploration truthfully from the start. That's what he's been doing all through Ecclesiastes. And the truth is, aging and death, to some degree, they are depressing. They are sad. They are fearful things to look at. And it was just the other day, my, my wife came to me in the morning complaining of some, her back was hurting. And I was like, well, what, what did you do? And she's like, I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't moving anything or lifting it. I just went to bed and I woke up and my back hurt. I'm sure she was expecting a more empathetic response. I remember just smiling at her and I just said, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Because that's what happens, right? The closer you get to 40 and onward, you, you can injure yourself just going to bed. It's true. In the end, I think Solomon has two purposes he wants us to see and why he wants us to know this, why he gives us this description. First of all, Solomon wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt what's coming. He wants to say, don't look away. Look at this full in the face. This is what's coming. He wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt, like a faithful friend or researcher, Solomon wants to warn us that whatever protection we think we have from youth and vitality, it's an illusion. The bitter aging process that he describes so vividly here is coming for us all. You're not going to escape it. Secondly, the second reason centers around Solomon's repeated command there to remember your creator. It's remember your creator. In his commentary in this passage, Derek Kidner states this, For our part, to remember is no perfunctory or purely mental act. It is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency to submit ourselves to him. That's what it means to remember your creator. But we must remember Solomon's command is to remember our, our creator in our youth. Remember it now before the days of trouble come. And here again is that motivation. Motivation for behavioral, attitudinal change. That's where that comes in. Again, Derek Kidner writes in his passage, so it is in youth, not age, that these inexorable facts are best confronted when they can still drive us to action. As I said, I believe Solomon's entire purpose in this description of the bitterness of aging is not to depress us, it's not to discourage us, but to motivate us while we still have our youthful energy to consider the brevity of life. Consider our steps more carefully in light of the fact that God sees them and will bring every one of them into judgment one day. Consider the inevitable bitterness of aging and say, okay, look at it in the face and say, okay, if that's, if that's the end that's truly coming, what needs to change about the way I'm living my life right now? Knowing this is the future that's absolutely coming, what needs to change about the way that I'm investing my available resources today? Consider the sweetness of youth, bitterness of age. And the last thing Solomon shows us here is finding wholeness in our life under the sun. Finding wholeness in our life under the sun. Now this is the end that Solomon has been building to, the crescendo through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And it's also the purpose behind his contrasted pictures of youth and aging. Verse 9 through 11, if you look there, this gives us a deeper picture into the life and purpose behind Solomon's writing overall. 
much of the stuff that he had written, uh, things like this book as well, but also books like Proverbs, Song of Songs, all of his collected sayings, as well as verse 11 in particular there, showing us the connection between the wise goading words of Solomon and their ultimate fulfillment of Solomon and his reign in Jesus himself. See how he talks about given by one shepherd. Referring, I think, to Jesus himself looking ahead, who is our true shepherd king. Jesus who said of himself in Matthew chapter 12, listen. He said, the man of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the true and better Solomon. He is the ultimate fulfillment of what Solomon, even for all his wisdom, could never be, could never do, could never give. He is our one true shepherd. But I want to focus our time in this point on the last Two verses, verse 13 13 and 14 in particular, as Solomon states explicitly what he says is the conclusion of the matter. Now that all has been heard, look with me there, verse 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, the, the brackets, the brackets of Solomon's stated thesis that he gave at the beginning of the book and now at the end, what literary scholars call the inclusio, when you put two really strong statements on either end, it means I want to refer to everything in the middle. It's he's, he means what he's talking about when he says all that is heard. He's referring to his entire lifelong study of everything under the sun, which he's chronicled in this book, and which is now bookended on both sides with his thesis, everything is about. This is what he means when he says, all has been heard. We've, we've laid out all the evidence before you. But when you get to his conclusion, when you get to the crescendo, I mean, it does. It seems pretty anticlimactic, doesn't it? He's done this lifelong study, and he gets to the end, and he just says, fear God, keep his commandments. And we're thinking, Really? I think that, that's it? It's, that's what you got at the end of that? That was not what I was hoping for. Uh, the, the, the weight, the true weight, though, of what Solomon offers to us here, it comes if we just look a little bit deeper into what he's written. So let's do that here. First clue is to note, as we saw all the way back in chapter 7, look at those little square brackets in verse 13 under the word duty. Do you see those two little brackets like that. Again, this is a translator's note that that word duty doesn't actually appear in the original Hebrew text. So already this tells us something, okay? What this means is that the second half of verse 13 actually reads, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man, or this is the wholeness of man. It means what Solomon is describing for us here in the simplest most basic of terms, is how we find true wholeness in our lives under the sun that God intended for us to experience. This is how we find it. 
For those of us uh, who are here for our series through Jesus' I Am statements, this is, he's showing us the difference between finding bios life and zoe life. Regular existence and life as God intended for us to experience. This is how we get it. So how do we find it? First of all, fear God. Fear God. Which sounds a whole lot like what Solomon said previously in Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The first thing we do, fear God. Now, now there's no question. I think when we consider the size the power of our Creator God, and compare with our tiny, finite existence, that there should be a measure of genuine fear coming into His presence. It's going to be like, wow, particularly considering what He goes on to say in verse 14 about how God will bring every deed into judgment. There should be a healthy fear when we think about that. But for the one here this morning who has come into relationship, a restored relationship with this God through the work of Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf, we know that now that very same fear of God is transformed. It's transformed from a feeling of terror into now one of reverence and awe. That's what it means now for the one in restored relationship with God to fear God. We stand in reverence and awe before him. For while judgment by a holy God should instill fear into all of us, the hopeful message of the gospel is that in Jesus, our rightful punishment for sin was taken and paid for by him in his death on the cross. Stephen Myers notes this, fearing God paradoxically is the way to live without fear. For all of our anxieties about a life we cannot predict, or control are now banished before a God who controls it all. And then, it's out of that humble reverence and awe of our redeeming God that we're led to the second way we find true wholeness in life, keeping His commandments. Keep His commandments. Now, I know for many people, even if you have faith in God, that sounds more, more threatening than joyful, it sounds more like a threat, and it's often what leads people to, to think that Christianity is just about following a bunch of rules. Do what God says, and then he'll bless you. That, that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. What, what I would submit to you is that the order in which Solomon lists these two pathways to the wholeness in life is incredibly important. Because if you switch these around... To say, the way we find wholeness in life, keep God's commandments and fear Him. Immediately, I think that takes all hope. It removes all hope from the equation. Why? Well, because it begins with us and our effort instead of with God and His. Don't you see, when we begin with the reverent fear and awe of a God who has given His only Son in order to redeem us, when we start there, well, then it transforms even obedience to God's commands as well, from something that we do in order to earn His favor to something we do because we already have it. Live out all your days under the sun, remembering your Creator and what He's done to redeem you. Live your life in fearful reverence and awe of His transcendence as well as His intimate closeness. And live your life in accordance with God's perfect design for humanity, which 
positively stated is all it means to follow his commands. Live your life like God set it up to work. Live like this, says Solomon, and you will truly find at last the meaning, purpose, and value, the wholeness in life that the misty pursuits of wealth, wisdom, uh, youth, pleasure could never give you. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us as we turn out the lights and close the doors on Ecclesiastes now? If you've been around for any part of this series, or even if it's your first Sunday here today with us, you know now the bookends on either end of Ecclesiastes are the, play, are the, the teacher's plaintive cry, meaningless, habel, everything is like a mist, and everything included inside those brackets is sought to prove that thesis. This is the world we live in, says Solomon. It's all a mist. It's all passing away. It won't offer you what you think it will if you put your, your efforts into pursuing these things. It won't, can't give you what you hope it will. But wherever you're at in your relationship with the Creator this morning, whether you're pressing in or maybe still on the outside looking in, I hope our time in Ecclesiastes has caused you to question some things in light of this reality, in light of the mist-like nature of this world we live in. I hope it's challenged you to look more deeply under the surface of some of the pursuits of your life, to ask yourself whether or not I'm really pursuing things that are lasting in life, or whether I'm simply chasing the wind, trying to find purpose and meaning in life and temporary fleeting things that can't offer it. I hope it's also caused you to look at your life differently, to to consider the truth that James reiterates in the New Testament when he says, all of our lives are but a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's our whole life. And in considering that inevitable end of our lives, Ecclesiastes has inspired you to seek to live out your days under the sun with joy and meaning and purpose that God intends for you, that he's granted for you. To to live your life like you were dying. Quote Tim McGraw as we started out this whole series. I hope it's helped you to do that. To think of your life that way and to, to, to start with the end to help you live life better now. For we have but one hope, one hope to find this wholeness that we're all seeking in the face of that inevitable end, and it's in living out our finite, misty days in reverence of and in reference to the one who defeated death for all time in his death and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, when the perishable that is, that which is Hebel, puts on the imperishable, that is, our new life in Christ, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The bitter, inevitable end that was fearful that awaited us all is now swallowed up and eradicated in the death of Jesus. 
And he says, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that now, because of Jesus, your labor is not about. 